So I've just hit record. Uh, Sean and I caught up just for a few minutes there. Um, and after a, a prayer, um, I press record and here we are. So uh, I was sharing with Sean off camera just a moment ago. Um, of all the episodes we've ever done uh, on the Simplify podcast and now uh, the Keep It Simple podcast, this newest uh reiteration of the pod, uh, his episode uh, and the Train Trestle Ministry, uh, by far, uh, probably three times uh, is the most listened to episode we've ever recorded and put out. Um, I still get texts. Um, I get texts about Connor. I get texts about Hayden Martin. And I get texts about Sean King. And our people are wanting to know where you are and how you are. But before we get into all of that, where you are now and, and the train trussle and how that has morphed and what you're up to now, uh, for so many of our new followers, listeners, um, they will not be familiar with you uh, or your story, uh, not familiar with our relationship. And um, so let's just kind of start there and and come through kind of catch people up to speed um so you and i know each other um we have known each other since i was i think 17 years old uh so that's that's uh 29 years now uh that we have known one another and uh very uh, uh little known fact you are the reason that i um was in rodeo and we covered a snippet of that uh, in the first episode three years ago. Um, but without you, um, and without you calling me up, taking a chance on a ragtag kid and hauling me, um, all over to Alabama and all over the place, putting me in front of bulls, I would have not had that, um, launching point for that part of my life. And then, um, uh, there was a season there then that we kind of separated ways. I uh, went into the rodeo world, um, and you went into the motorcycle world. Mm -hmm. And um, so let's start there. Let's start kind of where we separated and and um, where you landed in that. And then what happened from the, from the time that our paths kind of split until God brought our paths back together um, there, that would have been uh, probably 2009 or 10. I can't remember, 10 or 11. But I don't know. Yeah, so so um, for those of you that don't know you, um, let's pick up at your transition from rodeo and how did you end up in the, in the motorcycle <laughs> realm? Let's start there. Uh, well, uh, you know, in that rodeo lifestyle, there's a ton of adrenaline to start with. And that's ultimately what fuels so many of us to even chase after that. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> for me, the next step was uh, I sat back and I was like, well, now who am I? You know, I had an identity crisis. It's like, well, okay. I, was, I, was, I was a rodeo cowboy. Mm -hmm. Well, if I quit rodeoing, now I'm no longer a rodeo cowboy. What am I? Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, I felt a strong draw. A friend of mine, Shannon, had a motorcycle. Yeah, Shannon Buckner. Uh, yeah. yeah. He bought that bike, and I saw that, and I was like, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. Who, uh, who, by the way, was a 
Hamill. Incredible. Found out he used profanity. <laughs> he was a bad man on that <laughs> sucker. So he could ride bulls, man. Before we go there, hold on a second. I just got to tell everybody listening that you gave me credit for launching you, but let me tell you something, man. You, for those not knowing, are an absolute athlete. I mean, a true, fast. The second that I saw you move, Mm-hmm. I knew you were destined to do a whole lot more than than what I was rolling with. All right, Same now I know, that. I know, I know. So, but so anyway, Shannon Buckner had bought this motorcycle, and he's a bad man. He's a bad man. He's a good human, but in the bull riding, mm-hmm. that was a bad man. Yeah, so he'd get your money quick in a minute. So, uh, so I saw that, and uh, I decided, you know what, I'm gonna go start looking at some motorcycles, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we were going to a funeral, and just the way it worked out, we were headed to a funeral for a guy that we all knew and worked with. Um, and they said, whatever you do, don't go buy the Easy Riders in Atlanta. There's a motorcycle in there, and you'll buy it. You can't really tell me not to do something, man. <laughs> I just, it's not going to work out that well. Yeah. If you didn't want me to buy the bike, just don't even tell me it existed, right? <laughs> so what I do, I drive back, I see the bike, and, and I'm trying to do better with my money a little bit at the time. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to walk away. So I literally left it sitting there. Mm-hmm. Two days later, I grabbed my little brother. I said, you're my no guy. I said, you're supposed to tell me no a hundred times. We're going to go up here and we're probably going to buy this bike. I mean, I carried a trailer with me, you know, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so yeah. I get up there, I show up, I see it, man, it's like, oh gosh. And so we sat down and, you know, he's over there saying, no, 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 no. I ain't hearing any of it. And finally I this just is said, Tommy. Tommy. Yeah, this is Tommy. I said, it, yeah. It's, yeah. I looked at him, I said, it's over with. We're going to get to Mike. So <laughs> carry it home. And I was, and I was living with you. We were yes. roommates. I was yeah. living with you. At the house. At your place out on Nitrogen Road in that season. <laughs> I remember you bringing that yep. big old chopper. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it had, had all motor and nothing else. That thing, it's this day, had more power to weight ratio than anything else I've owned. And, yeah. uh, we all took turns riding it down the road and back because it was so daggone cold and we were about to freeze to death just, you know, quarter mile, half mile at a time. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, from that right there, you know, I, I just started. I, I, Well, if you're watching this, uh, uh, somehow Sean there got cut off. Um, I'm going to leave the set, uh, session running. If I know him, he will log back in in a moment and rejoin the room. Um, we talk about authenticity. Uh, we talk about intentionally eliminating the polish uh, and the post-production to make things slick. Um, so here we are in episode three. And you're fixing to get a real dose of just how uh, sincere we are in that. Um, so we'll hang out here a few minutes um, and see if Sean is able to join uh, join back up with us.
All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us for episode three. Uh, after just a few minutes of catching up um, off offline before I hit record and then a prayer. Um, uh, here we are. I hit record and, and um, we are into episode three. So um, today I'm super excited. Uh, we have coming back to the podcast, uh, one of my most favorite people in the world, truly, uh, my friend Sean King. And so um, some of you uh, know Sean uh, in the very first version, the first year that we tried our hand at uh, recording podcast episodes, Sean came on and he was hands down. His episode was uh, three times over the most listened uh, it got the most listens um, by three times of everything else. And um, to date, um, there's kind of three people that folks text me to ask me how they are and where they are. And just for updates, that's uh, Connor Henderson, who was uh, uh, episode one. And then now Sean King, folks text to ask about. And then uh, here in the coming weeks, we're going to have Hayden Martin on. A lot of you know and remember Hayden. But, but today's Sean. And... Um, so uh, just a little backstory, kind of quickly, uh, Sean King is, uh, for me, is a lifelong friend. Um, I met Sean when um, I was a teenager. Um, he saw something in me that others overlooked. Um, he invested in me um, relationally, uh, professionally, uh, financially, emotionally, um, physically he pushed me took me uh he went through a bodybuilding phase and really kind of pressed me uh to take health serious and so in all these ways and more sean has been a constant um in my life and uh in the lives of so many others and so um uh yeah so when i was lining out uh who to interview and when uh sean was top of the list and so uh, Sean, just, uh, I guess, a great jumping off point for, for you to hop in. Um, so you and I rodeoed together. Uh, Sean was a bullfighter. He's a bull rider. He's a bullfighter. And um, so Sean and I fought bulls uh, together. Uh, at one point, we lived together. Sean had property and a home uh, and allowed me uh, to live with him as a roommate there. And um and we rodeoed together, we lived together, we worked together um, mm-hmm. through different channels, uh, I guess, by default. Uh, in a way, Sean was uh, my boss's boss. Um, <laughs> and so there's been all these different layers to our relationship. But, um, but then there was a season where our lives kind of, our paths forked. And, and I went all out, 100% in the rodeo game. Um, and you went a different direction. And so let's start there. Let's talk about that direction, where where you headed and why, what led up to that. I think that'd be a really good place to start. Right on, man. Well, thank you. And I could say all those exact same things about how you poured into my life and are still pouring into my life. Mm-hmm. Um, for the interest of this podcast, instead of just gushing over you the whole time, I'm just going to get in it. All right, brother? Please, the, yes. Uh, so the, uh, you know, when I quit rodeoing, I had a I had a huge identity crisis all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it was shortly after getting my first divorce. And uh, so for me, a friend of ours, Shannon Buckner, who absolutely is a bad man. Especially on the back the of a bull. Yeah, yes, sir. Sucker could <laughs> he'd get your money. He'd oh, get shin your bone. money. Shinbone would take it to him, wouldn't he? <laughs> he would. So, uh, so that being said, I mean, anyway, he had a motorcycle. And uh, I saw it. And uh, one day we were headed to a funeral. And uh, I don't know if it was before that or right after that. They said, whatever you do. Don't go buy Easy Riders in Atlanta if you're wanting a motorcycle. They got one in the window, and you'll have to buy it. That didn't work out. I, don't ever tell me not to do something, man. If you don't want me to do, if you didn't want me to get the bike, just tell me it didn't exist. You don't even bring yeah. it up, right? Yeah. So, way back from that funeral, I stop and I look at it, and I, somehow I managed to drive away that day. But uh, that Monday, I returned with a trailer and my little brother who was supposed to talk me out of it. I think having the trailer on the back of the truck probably sealed the deal before I ever got there looking back. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> so anyway, I, I'm sitting there, and uh, next thing you know, I own a motorcycle. And uh, Ben, uh, you, you were living with me at the time, and, and we all took turns riding that thing up and down the road because it was so cold outside. Anyway. And that sucker was fast. Man, that hands down. I mean... Uh, oh, power to weight ratio that's that's still the the baddest bike i've ridden and i've ridden yeah. a ton yeah but, uh, yeah so um you know i don't do anything just a little bit either i'm all in or i'm all out and that's uh, one of the things i love most about you <laughs> well thank you uh it, it can be a in this case it turned out to not necessarily be a great thing though so uh I bought this motorcycle and I started riding and I surrounded myself with, uh, you know, first thing I did was I went to the Harley shop, started picking up all these little, uh, magazines, little rags as we call them that would, uh, promote different events and eventually found me a little group that, uh, that met on uh, Saturdays and would ride a little bit. You know, I just started making friends, which isn't hard to do for me. I, I, I tend to, can get in and fit in almost anywhere. I've just learned how to be a chameleon, yeah. which really and truly is kind of was kind of part of my problem. You know, I didn't know who I was, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, I rode that bike for years. Uh, first trip, the first year I got it. So uh, the first trip was to Panama City. The second trip was to. Uh, Myrtle Beach, third trip was to Sturgis, fourth trip was to Daytona, fifth trip was to Panama City, and I thought this was normal, because coming from a rodeo background, we went everywhere every weekend, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're never home. So, if you're home, that that means you're not doing too good, right? Yeah. Um, So, for five, you know, to hit the five major rallies in one year was unheard of. You know, like, what? Uh, Yeah. Did it all the very first year I had it, so... Um, so the intensity, the intensity and the focus that you had channeled at rodeo had just shifted. Yeah, gotcha. just shifted yeah. intensity completely. Gotcha. And so gotcha. Uh, I rode that for I rode that same bike for about five years, and uh, finally somebody um, wanted to ride it that had a dresser, you know, a, a what we would call a bagger. It's a Harley Davidson that's all fully decked out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I sat on it and rode it about 20 miles. And I got off, and man, when I tell you, Ben, I was mad, I wasn't a little bit mad. I was ticked. <laughs> hey, you there? Hey, you there? Yeah. I heard, right. you say you wasn't, I heard you say you wasn't a little bit mad. You were ticked. I was ticked off, man. Yeah. So I thought everybody's motorcycle rode the same as mine. And that's not the case at all. Yeah. So uh, once I realized how comfortable they were, I told them, I said, each one of y'all owes me a purple heart for keeping up with y'all and riding as far as I did and doing everything. I said, y'all been riding on this stuff. I said, you never told me. He goes, we thought you knew. I said, no. Nah. So uh, it wasn't long after that, maybe six months, I owned a bag of my own. And uh, I think the first trip on it was to Savannah and back in a day just to put 500 miles on it. Went to Savannah, to Atlanta and back. And then the next weekend, we went to Arkansas to see my cousins. Yeah. Um, so now I took something that was, you know, kind of hard to ride and got on something that was easy. And now yeah, I was ready to go everywhere. So fast forward. You know, a couple of years, I kept making different friends, and each time it was, uh, you know, it was alcohol and uh, and motorcycles and going fast and riding crazy. Well, eventually, eventually, I met a guy, and uh, he was in a motorcycle club, and I said, you know what? I bet you he rides a lot. All my friends would uh, would be too drunk on Sundays to ride. And that's the only day they really wanted to ride at the time. And I was like, hey, look, man, I, I want to go. I, I don't want to sit over here and lay around and do all this other stuff. I want to go. So I met this guy, and uh, he took me on my first trip. I mean, Ben, I'm going to tell you, this is how it went. I, he called me and said, hey, man, we got this ride, and uh, you can go on it if you want to. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, uh, where are we going? He said, about three gas stops. I said, man, that's cool. I mean, so like three tanks of gas? Three tanks of gas. That's all okay. he told me. So okay. I was like, okay, where do you want me to meet you? He told me. And so I was like, okay, I'll be there. I got off the phone. I immediately called him back and said, hey, man, we tenting it or are we uh, going to be in a in a room? He goes, bring your tent. I said, okay. Got off the phone, no problem. That was my first trip uh, with the Outlaws Motorcycle Club. Okay. And at that point, I was sealed. I, I wanted to do that. I thought that was the coolest thing. I mean, I had made a ton of other choices in my life, you know, between the alcohol and some drugs here and there. And, you know, nothing I'm proud of. But, you know, now I'm over here in this setting. And, man, these guys are supposed to be riding everywhere. Now, I had a drinking problem, but I, I didn't know I had a drinking problem at the time. And, uh, you know, I was surrounding myself with people who love motorcycles, who love to drink. Didn't mind fighting, everything. I mean, I right up my alley, man. Sign me up. So now yeah. I found another group of people to hang out with that were just, you know, it, it was everything I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, so I hung around them for probably a year and a half, I guess, maybe two, and uh, the opportunity came to to become a probate for what this. What does that mean? Program. Um, so they have is a, it like being on your permit? Yes, yes. It's a lot like being on your permit. You, but but you're uh, 
you're you're proving yourself to be worthy of wearing that patch. And what does lost. that what does that proving look like? Is that uh, uh it's a lot of long nights, early mornings, a lot of riding, a lot of abuse, a lot of uh you know, let's see what you're gonna do in tight situations. They they okay. put you through a fire to see how you're gonna handle yourself. And okay. uh you know, it's a it's not a comfortable situation for most and at best you just you wanna lash out at the people who are testing you, but there's more of them than there are you. You know, yeah. so there's only yeah. so much you can do, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But eventually, you know, I, I, I passed out into the club. and uh, How long did that on. take? Um, right out a year. Almost okay. a year. Almost a full year. Okay. Um, and uh, during that time, I mean, as a probate, I think I was away from the house probably 32 out of 46 weeks, something like that, weekends. Wow. Yeah. Um, you would you would routinely give up at least one day a week, if not two, and then almost every weekend. I mean, I was I was home. I'm home home. When I say uh, out of the house, I mean not at not leaving Georgia. You know, right. those right. other thirteen weekends. The there was only like two weekends as a probate that I actually didn't have to go anywhere, and even then I went somewhere. You know, right? Yeah. Um, so then you, you patch out and all of a sudden you got to make your own decisions. And, you know, they got certain things you have to do in certain places you need to go. And, um, so I was all about that. And, uh, we were riding, I mean, it was still, it just upped the ante, you know, and, uh, mm -hmm. trying to choose my words here, but it's not yeah, necessarily, yeah. it's not necessarily, uh, the boy scouts. Right. Right. Well, the outlaws are one percent of club, and uh, as such, you know, they're they're not Boy Scouts. So <laughs> we wound up. It wasn't uh, maybe three months, if that, after I patched in, that uh, somebody we had been hanging around with. Not to dive all the way in it, but bottom line, the FBI had placed an undercover agent into a support club. Hmm. And uh, one night we were all sitting around and his name come up and there were just so many lies that had been told to us that there was only one of two things. Either this guy was a habitual liar or he was right. Mm -hmm. So we made a couple phone calls and <clears throat> decided that we need to shut down a clubhouse. So that's what Can happened. Can you talk about... Can you talk about your role, like your specific role, or not? I'm gonna not tell really. you about this one. In, I'll tell you about this one instance. Okay, not and, not and, not not that okay. not that instance. I mean, in the club, the role that you served, there were specific guys. Let me let me get on up through there. It, it, okay. Some of that comes a little bit later on. I, I, okay. Okay. At this point, I'm just a regular outlaw. I didn't okay. have any titles or anything, but we all sat around that night and decided we need to shut them down. When I looked around, I was the guy. I, I knew I had to go do it. I had uh, helped this guy financially to get a motorcycle, and uh, some things transpired via text where, uh, you know, he knew I was already mad at him, and so... Um, 
I went up there and uh, I took one other guy with me and we went up there and shut down that clubhouse of about 13 men. Um, that was probably one of the, it's pretty dicey. I'm not going to say it was the diciest thing I ever did, but it was pretty dicey. You know, you go in there and start telling 13 people they got to give you their cut. Um, which is their, which is the vest, vest, their vest itself. And, uh, that you're not leaving without it. Um, and this is something that each one of them had to work for as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but we walked out of there, we left with it. And, uh, Next thing you know, um, it's probably another 30 days, if that, the feds came mm. and uh, they arrested me. I went to, uh, they took me to Gainesville. Um, I had never been arrested before. Gainesville, um, Florida or Georgia? Gainesville, Georgia. Gainesville, Georgia. Georgia. Yep. Okay. Because the, the other clubhouse was up towards Helen, up in that okay. area. So, so they came the, after you for what you did in closing down that. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm with you. There, okay. There's a ton of other things that, sure. that were going on that I had no knowledge of. But at the time, you know, that's what they came for. Okay. So I spent, I spent the next two years and like four months under pretrial indictment. Now, you know, in that world, if you're, uh, if you're not, it, it, how do I say this? Everybody was scared I was a rat or that I had made a deal to get back onto the street mm -hmm. because the feds don't let, they don't give us bond. They don't give us bail. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you ride around and you know that your phone's tapped. You know that people have the right to come in and toss your house at any point in time because they did a couple times. Um, it's, uh, brother, I was in a dark place. And I remember, so So from the flip side of that, right, I talked about our paths and kind of our, our paths had crossed no, nothing bad at all. That's no. just, I hit the rodeo trail and I kind of yeah. lost track of what you were up to. And then fast forward years later, as this is going on in your life and I'm rodeoing and I get married and start having babies yeah. and kind of scale down to the Southeast. And one day I get a phone call from you and, <laughs> and we start to catch up and you ask me to come over. Right. And, yeah. uh, so my flip side of that, and this is one of my favorite Sean King stories, because I go in and like, I haven't seen you and just right. on the phone, I could hear in your voice. Cause I know you, I could hear like hurt, uh, worry, brokenness, all of those things. I could hear that. And so I'm driving over and I'm like, you know, I'm prayerfully, I'm like, Lord, what am I getting into? You know, this is my guy. Like, I love this guy, but I really am not sure what I'm get, driving into. Yeah. And so uh, this is the part to me that is so funny now. So I pull up to your house and, you know, the garage doors up, beautiful, big two-story house, garage doors up and all these bikes, you know, and I'm like, okay, this is Sean. This is Sean that I know. And you come walking out, you know, and, and – <laughs> tattoos and all this you know and i'm like okay it's still shown that i know and 
So you invite me in and we get inside. You cannot make this stuff up. You turned around. You said, have you got a cell phone? And I said, yeah. And you said, give it to me. And I'm like, why? And you're like, have you got a cell phone? Yeah, give it to me. And at this point, I'm like, I probably ought to give this man my cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I push this cell phone out, you know, and hand it to you. You take your cell phone. Do you remember this? You take your cell phone yeah. and my cell phone and you put it in your microwave. And you shut it. You didn't turn it on, thankfully, but you, you put our phones in your microwave and shut it. And and I'm like, dude, what's going on? And that's when you start then to explain to me that, you know, that through the phones and through any interactions and stuff, that that folks have the ability then to tap in and listen and that by putting our phones in the box and shutting it in the uh, microwave and shutting it then that they were not able to do that and even then like i know you i love you and i trust you but even then i'm in my mind i'm like i'm i'm like oh, father what am i into here <laughs> <laughs> so from the flip side i can tell you that was uh like I said, it's still to date one of my favorite Shaw King stories because I'm all in. I'm like, either this is going to be really good or this is going to be really bad. But either way, I'm in. Man, so yeah. So, I mean, life had degraded to that, brother. I mean, yeah. it, I, I looked over my shoulder, and if I didn't know you and you said hello, I might just hit you. Yeah, I mean, just because I, I don't know where you're coming from, I don't know who you are, I don't know what your yeah. intent with me is, and uh, you know the paperwork that they handed me when I got out of out of when they released me, it said the United States of America versus Sean King. Hmm. And when you stop and let that sink in, that means my dad, my mom, my sister. It means you, everybody by proxy, mm-hmm. are against me. And mm-hmm. that'll put a man on an island right off the rip. And so I'm, at that point, I'm surrounded by by people who, um, the easiest way to say it is the good guys were scared of me and the bad guys were scared of me. Yeah. And so I, I know. Like, I was. I think I was a good guy and I was scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there was a lot of people were scared to just be around me. You know, that's it's like, oh, I can't tell him anything. I don't want to be around him. Because he might be rolled or whatever. And then the good guys were like, oh, my God, he's such a dangerous man. And this, that, and another. And, and I had kept a lot of my junk to myself. I tried to keep my trash on my side of the street and, you know, yeah. um, give them the window dressing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was good yeah. at wearing a mask and uh, yeah. and hiding things. And so, you know, we I, I survived that and went to trial. And uh, there's a ton of stories I could dive off in. Everything. Sure. You remember Phil Broom? Oh yeah, I, man. Sharp and I were just talking about Phil. <laughs> that guy. He's like he's like my relationship with you and my relationship with Sharp. He's one of those guys. I, I love that guy. To, I, I tried to call him today, and evidently it's the wrong number. But and thinking about this, I was like, man, let me just touch base with him. But anyway, he's got some stories of me in those days, and I got some stories of him in those days. And yeah. so, anyway, I wind up getting uh, getting all the way through. I went to trial, and after three days of prosecutor testimony, 
literally that judge banged the gavel and it uh it's just a god thing that that no evidence of a crime had been had been presented enough for any jury any reasonable jury to find a conviction okay and so i mean i literally we had no defense we did everything they said i did in that indictment but it's just whether it was against the law or not you know and so uh so we we get out of the trial, and that's when things, uh, you know, started escalating for me. Okay. You know, uh, I wound what does up, that look like? Well, first off, I wanted to get out of out, out of Georgia. Okay. Because I felt like this ta- this entire state was was too small for me. I needed a new start. So I go to Alabama, and in my best thinking, uh, I found a. Uh, I'll just say it. Yeah, I found a stripper, and uh, we got married. And uh, that's part of the devastation that that I left in my wake is is a whole other family that that just got destroyed and all of this just because of my behavior and the way I acted. But so, oh, once I got to Alabama, I uh, wound up being a chapter boss um, because all of a sudden, what does that what does that mean? That means that I'm responsible for all the outlaws that report to that area. So it would have been a town, and uh, the town, whatever town, wherever we had a chapter, all the outlaws in there, I would have been ultimately responsible for. Wow. And, uh, you know, because I had held my mud and because I beat that case, you know, there was a there was a couple of people who would, when I'd come walking up, would call me Teflon Sean. Nothing sticks, right? Yeah. So, uh, which I'm sure is good for the ego. I mean, oh yeah, my, my head, my head was wider than my shoulders. My shoulders yeah. are pretty wide anyway. Yes, you know, they so are. Now I could, I had to turn sideways to get through a three foot door. Yeah. You know, um, and instead of if I'd have had half a brain or half a heart or been anywhere close to God at that point in my life, I would have, uh, I would have immediately gotten out and ran, uh, you know, hide and just get, get away. Yeah. But, uh, in my state of mind, I was ready for a victory lap. Um, and so looking so, back, do you think the original indictment, the case, do you think that God could have used that to take you in a different direction but you didn't take that. You know, you and I talked one time about how there are dots on the timeline and we go on these walkabouts. Do you think that, that the original indictment in the case and the, the not guilty, do you think that in that uh, in that season God was trying to give you this out and you just didn't see it or take it? Absolutely, because okay. ultimately, so so while I'm there, um, like I said, I was married, and uh, she had a little daughter, a little blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl. She was uh, six years old, mm-hmm. and uh, that girl still got a small piece of my heart to this day. Amen. And uh, she, uh, you know, I, I didn't want anything but the best for her, and I didn't want her to know the worst of me. Right. So, uh, one day some stuff went down and, you know, I knew, I knew in the back of my head because of that trial and because everything I went through in my head, 
they were always going to be after me. They were always going to look for their chance to uh, to finally get me and put me behind bars. They being the government, the feds. Yes, government, yeah. FBI, somebody. Yeah. 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 And so uh, that night I went home. <laughs> your screen. <laughs> Are you there? Your screen, yeah, your screen just flipped upside down. <laughs> Man, your voice sounds like Mickey Mouse right now in my ear. <laughs> <laughs> you screen. I wish you could see what I'm seeing. So, for those of you, I don't know what this is going to be like when we put it out. But if you happen to watch this on YouTube, we said from the beginning, from from episode one, we said there's not going to be any post production, and uh, and we're not worried about the polish. We're not trying to entertain people. We're trying to encourage folks to. Uh, engage in authentic communities uh, uh, and in an authentic relationship. So I don't know what you're going to end up seeing on the YouTube video, but right now on my screen, Sean, your your uh, head is upside down. Hey, you there now? I'm trying to get back to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Can you hear I'm me? I'm going to tell you now. Yeah, I can hear you. I'm going to tell you, man. Uh, I think the devil must not want this story to be told, huh? <laughs> Maybe, but we're going to keep trucking. Even if you're upside down, I can hear you. Keep All on right. talking. All right, brother. So, uh, so so, you lived life with this idea that you were always going to have to be looking over your shoulder, that, they, that you had gotten off, but in your mind, they were going to keep coming after you until they could pin something on you. Absolutely, and, and that's going to result in me doing life in prison. Okay. And, the scary part to that, I wasn't worried about that at the time, believe it or not. It was, I know the way that they came to arrest me the last time, where they send, uh, they send 21 FBI agents to my house to arrest me, and they came in using flashbacks. Okay. Uh, all I can picture is them doing that. Hey, I think I'm back. Um, you are. All I can picture is them coming in that house with that six-year-old girl. And, oh, uh, man. And then I react, trying to protect her, to calm her. And my fast movements are the reason why they shoot me, and that's how I go out. And now I've got a six-year-old girl who's looking and having to deal with seeing that happen in front of her, whether I die or not. But now she's got to deal with the hurts yeah. that that costs. And so... Um, I knew then I had to leave the club, period. Oh, wow. Okay. So uh, uh, anytime, anytime somebody leaves the club, you know, they, uh, there's always a process. There's always a way to get out. And uh, if you follow the process, then you wind up out good. If you don't, then you wind up out bad. And, uh, you know, I've never done anything you know, half-assed, just to say it straight. Sure. And so I did it right, and uh, I wound up out good. And uh, so you left in good graces. You left you in good graces over them. your shoulder. Nope, I'm I'm welcome. And there's a couple of people who just don't like the fact that I left, but other than that, they're not out looking for me. Great. So uh, 
then I wound up being around the house and uh, realized very quickly that, you know, all those weekends away, I didn't know what was going on in my own home. And uh, it wasn't very long and I needed to get out of there. I just needed to, to put some distance in between me and there. And, you know, out of respect for everybody involved over there, I'm not going to get into to, sure. to why I left there. But I came sure. back home. So, uh, so I came back home. And uh, and that's when I called you the next time to come over. Yeah. And uh, for the folks listening, man, so here's a guy who's just been wearing a patch for a while who uh, did it at the highest level of uh, motorcycle clubs. And uh, I'm sitting there, and Ben comes in, and we're sitting, we're talking. And, you know, we talked about a lot that day. And I confessed some things to you that I have only told two other people in my life and then uh yeah while i'm sitting there i uh he starts telling me says man let me tell you about this place i'm like what he goes yeah there's seven bridges man they go out in the homeless and this that and other yeah they're a bunch of bikers he they're bikers until, yeah up until you said that you had me and so i'm like nope that's not for me well back up a little bit i'd had a heart attack and when i come up out of that heart attack for the first time in my life, I knew that God spoke. Because mm -hmm. in between my head coming off the pillow and my feet hitting the floor, he gave me three things to do. Number one, find a church where you feel like you're hearing the gospel for the very first time. Number mm -hmm. two, put forth the same effort into finding people who will do Christian life with you like you used to do to find people who do illegal stuff with you. Oh, man, come on. No more effort, just the same. And then the third thing was walk through any door I put in front of you. So when you told me that about the seven bridges place, I'm like, no, that's not for me. That's not a door. He's, I don't know where he's coming from with that. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't long after that. I think we had a second talk at the house, and, and our third talk, I guess, and uh, you brought him up again. I'm like, not for me, man. The whole time I'm taking about six months to just run around. I'm I'm going to churches, Korean churches. I went to. Oh, I remember. <laughs> it was craziness, man. I was getting. I felt like every message was for me. God was moving in me like crazy. it was beautiful. Right? It, was it was incredible. But I mean, I love you'd it. call me once almost every Sunday afternoon. You called me. And you, one week you were in an African-American church over on Shirling Drive, and the next week you were downtown on somewhere, Cherry Street or something, at a Korean church, and the next, and it's like, I think somewhere in there you were with a, at a Quaker church or something, or, yeah. I, I don't, I mean, and I'm like, you were all, I mean, you, all of the intensity and the passion that had been in rodeo, and then had been in motorcycles, had shifted, and and that got, that's the way that God made you, and it finally found the right channel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So so I, I I turned it down the second time, and then a third time you're talking to me, and you bring it up, and I'm like, man, that third thing, walk through any door. All right, Ben. Shoot me that guy's uh, number or something, and I'll I'll send him a text. And I was praying in my head. I didn't say it to God, but I was thinking to myself, please don't answer. Don't respond. It was David Johnson. David's still yeah. my friend. David and I are still friends. 
Look, he's an incredible guy. Yeah, he's yeah. amazing. Man, amazing fella. So finally I get in touch with him. He calls me back, and I'm like, all right, got it. This is meant to be. Then fine. And I go up there, and, uh, you know, I saw these people in uh, – what a beautiful place that Seven Bridges, the, the heart yes. of that, the design. You know, they, they're out there taking sack lunches, and if uh, if people want to come off that street and try and, and live up to their standards, man, they don't have to be there another minute. And uh, mm-hmm. so I, I did that two or three times, I think. Mm-hmm. And then uh, one morning I got up, or actually – I should start the night before because I was dating at the time, my wife now. And uh, I'm sitting there and like that Thursday before, he made it very clear, again, God speaks. And uh, I, she and I couldn't be together. Mm-hmm. I don't know. He just flat told me and just to use his words is, she's not going where I'm taking you. Well, and so, uh, you know, out of obedience, I tried to do it the best way I could and uh, wound up wound up uh, breaking up with her that night. But it took late into the night to do it, and I was supposed to go to Seven Bridges the next morning. And uh, I forgot to set my phone. The phone did just like it did earlier for us. It, it actually died on me. And uh, mm-hmm. so, uh, so I got up and... In between waking up and my feet hitting the floor, God spoke to me again. It's like, do it in making. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. So I go up to Walmart, make some hygiene packs up, and uh, head out. And uh, I'm headed, and, and somebody else had invited me to the H&H restaurant to eat breakfast, a lunch with a guy that was uh, had a day pass from uh, rehab. Mm-hmm. And I'm on my way there, and... Uh, literally like 150 yards from the building over there that, where that church is torn down. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a guy walking up the street. I'm like, wow, okay, this, this must be my guy. First one, might as well. So I pull into the parking lot now. For, for everybody out there, I don't mean this. Don't take this wrong. But the guy was black. I'm white, and I look like this. And typically, they get nervous around me, okay? I mean, especially when I roll up in a tinted window truck, I hit the roll-down button, I look out the window, I go, hey, man, you homeless? Those were my words, Ben. And he's Probably like, not the best approach. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with this idea right here. Nothing, <laughs> nothing wrong at all with this thing. Yeah. And so, so the second I said, I was like, oh, look, man, I got some hygiene packs over here. If you'd like one. I'd love to give one to you. And he looks at me and goes, okay. And so I ease around the truck. I hadn't even made them up. They were still in the bags from Walmart. So I made one up real quick and handed it to him, asked him could I pray with him. I was praying with him. I, I got done. I looked at him and said, man, you hungry? He's like, yeah. So next thing you know, we take him to lunch down there at H&H, man. And I'm trying to act like I know the guy. It ain't five minutes in. They know I don't know who the heck this guy is. And I just come clean and told him, so look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm, we're going to go figure something out. So uh, I offered him, my very first guy, um, his first name was Haywood. I'm not going to say his last name. Yeah. So he's like, um, I offered him to come stay at the house. And he's like, uh, I, I just got this one little thing I need to take care of, court thing, da, da, da. 
So two weeks goes by and he calls me. And the whole time I'm out there in the streets, man, I'm, I'm you know, full At of, that time by yourself. I mean, you literally yeah. are going up and down, downtown Macon, through Central City Park, down by the Old Mulgee River at the Otis Redding Bridge, literally canvassing Macon, trying to find people who are experiencing homelessness. Yeah, and, and you know, looking back on my past, all those dicey situations I was in, Oh yeah, I, I'm sitting there and people are like, are you worried? I was like, man, if you knew the crap I did before, I got God yeah. on my side now. What? Yeah. You think something's going to happen to me? Nah. Yeah. I, I, Teflon Sean again, but this time for real, all because of yeah. God was with me, you know? Yeah. So, and uh, that, not, not to fast forward the story, but there's, uh, so, so from all that, from yeah. Haywood, and then the door opens, and before it's over with, in, in that two story house, the one that I was referencing just a few minutes ago, Big, beautiful two-story house. You end up, over, this is over the course of months and then eventually years, you end up bringing men off the streets into your home. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man, we we built uh, full-size bunk beds. We had a total of eight beds set up in there, and uh, it, it was really neat, man. And In just a short period of time, we moved right at 87 people off the streets, through the house. And the ultimate goal is to a rehab, you know. Mm -hmm. And I I had this list of about 140 places they could choose from and their whole job. I had three, you know, hardline phones in there. And their whole job was to find them a place to go. And uh, And so then community, I mean, you ended up with the train trestle ministry you ended up shaping and forming kind of this community of volunteers that were so faithful. You built out a ministry. I mean, this is literally a person never been to seminary, never, not the whole religious, oh, I did all this stuff. It's like a person who went from a, a passion, energy, devotion to what was tearing him down. Mm-hmm. To passion, energy, devotion, uh, to a God that was ready to build him up and store him. And in that, God then began to surround you with like-minded people who were just as passionate, just as smidge crazy, that were willing. And, and I remember even in those years, even in that span, Every time I would come to your house, the ministry had morphed. Like I, I come over there one time, and the and the and the the bunk beds and all are in the house, but there's not much structure. And then I come over there like what maybe a month, forty five days later, and there's floor freezers now where motorcycles used to be lined up. And it's chock full of meat and and all the the proteins. And then I go inside, and where there was one fridge, there are two fridges. And every, I mean, and then the next time I come, there's all the laundry is set up. And I mean, it's like uh, I I can honestly say I I have known God has been gracious, and I have known a lot of people who have sold out for Jesus. Like what I call the kooks, not the people that just warm a, a pew or a bench or a seat, 
and kind of play at religion. I'm talking about people who take it out into the world. I don't think I don't think I've ever been around a person who has done it as fast as intense and as um, obedient. And it's like, I, I don't have to know the whole plan. I just got to know what you want from me today. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to. I don't have to set up the 501c3 and then have to build the beds and then have to get, you know, where, what about the funding? It's like, you say, go love people. Okay. And then, and that's a gift. I mean, if not for the background, if not for the hurts and the failures, if not for, I mean, so we in the first in the, and people are going to go try to find that first episode. I've taken all that down, so it's not out there anymore. If you want it that bad, let me know, and I can email you a file and you can listen to it. But in that first um, episode, you know, you you were sharing like we had no clue what we were doing. I mean, no. literally, we were spitballing. And before you know it, the Lord just kind of brings community in and around. And I mean, there's churches that get behind what you're doing to find out. And in that first interview, the thing that stuck out to me was like, and, and the feedback that we got from that, people were like, wasn't he scared? I mean, so he's got up to eight guys in his home, literally in his house. Mm-hmm. Like, wasn't he scared? And I'm like, my response was like, you don't know, Sean. You know what I mean? Like, from what he had been doing to what he was doing, this is tiddlywinks. I mean, it's Play-Doh. It's baby crap compared to, you know, and so my only point in all that rambling is our God has a way. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has a way of taking our failures and flipping them. And, and somehow from that hurt, we become healers. And what was meant to wreck and steal and kill and destroy ends up becoming almost our calling card, if you will. Um, uh, so for time's sake, I know I know that you're over time. So so the train trestle ministry is launched. It becomes a it it, it, it goes gangbusters. 87, 86, 87. 80, 86, 80, uh, be below, let's say eighty six. You know, eighty six guys come through are served well with I mean with excellence uh, treated. I mean they had the, uh, any of those men lived in your home the way that you do. I mean they had. You know, whatever it was that needed to be done in a home, they had access. It's not as if they were quarantined to one section. I mean, your house literally was their house. Um, And so uh, the next time our stories kind of cross intensely is so there's this crux, right? uh, COVID hits. um, 
And so then the ability to bring guys in off the streets and put them in your house, and there's 21, uh, 2020, 2021 in that time, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, again, you um, are reeling. Like, okay, I thought this is what we were doing, but now I'm not sure. And people are asking, what about the train trussle in there? So then there's this pressure. Uh, and so let's talk through that and then and then the kind of the morph into where you are now, what you're doing now personally, like uh, in your personal life, but then also, you know, um, ministry-wise, because I don't want to get pinched off on the goodness of now. Um, So, So, uh, you know, COVID hit and, uh, you know, rehabs were limiting their intake and, uh, Everybody, all the volunteers were getting nervous about going in the street. And, uh, you know, the the silo for me was that uh, my dad said, look, son, if you keep going out there like that, you're not going to be able to come over here. I can't get COVID. Oh, wow. I can't get it from you. And so I was like, okay. So uh, we all sat around and decided, okay, we still got eight men in the house. We're not going to put anybody out. We're just going to work through these guys. We're going to get them into some rehabs, no matter how long it takes. And uh, we'll just, we'll stop for now. Uh, And so we stopped taking people in. We got those guys placed. And then COVID rocked on for a year and a half. The lockdown did, basically. It was real hard to get, you know, anything moving. Churches shut down after that and everything else. And uh, (laughs) so... uh, I was sitting there, and I had, in some way along the way, excuse me, I started giving my testimony, and uh, I shared it at a uh, at a couple of celebrate recoveries, which uh, had become a staple for me taking my guys too, because in that environment, you know, I felt safe to bring them in there because nobody's judging; everybody in there's broken. You know, you're not showing up, you know, you're not walking in those doors with a mask on, period. And so it was the community that we needed. And uh, so I had one at Southside and one Robinson that's led by Pat Chastain. And that guy is such a gifted speaker. Yes, he is. And then we had Terry Theus, who was over at the assembly. And that's a... It's a Pentecostal church, you know, assembly of God type of deal, man. And mm-hmm. so they, their worship was off the chain. And, uh, you know, then I get invited to go up to Eatonton and give my testimony one night. And uh, I'm not sure how I met that guy. But uh, so I go up there and uh, I just gave my testimony. It happened to be that the pastor of that church was in the, in the the sitting in the church at the time. I didn't think anything of it. I got up and headed on back. Well, he uh that church wound up shutting down um you know because of covid and part of that was he shut down his celebrate recovery well towards the end of covid right around that time i'm trying to figure out what am i supposed to do how what, what have you got for me now guy this joker calls me and uh says hey man uh well, how do you feel about leading our celebrate recovery I was like, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> Just hands down, you got the wrong guy. He goes, no, no, no. I mean, think about it. W- would you do it? I said, it's not a question of whether I would. I'm telling you, you're wrong. You you shouldn't pick me. 
He's like, well, I tell you what, would you come up here and just meet with me? I was like, okay. I mean, I, I'm, I'll go sit down and talk with you. So I'll go up and he cooks uh, chili one night. I go up there and I sit down and that guy's got a silver tongue, man. Because he taught me <laughs> into leading that Celebrate Recovery. And as it turns out, during COVID, because he had set, shut down that Celebrate Recovery, every leader he had in there relapsed. Oh, wow. Rel- uh, relapsed and either was I did dead. not know that. Yeah, yeah they, they were either dead, they were in prison, or they were so far gone that, that you could look at them and tell they were in trouble, right? Physically mm. tell they were in trouble. I never so, knew that. So I step into that, yeah. And I mean, you know, so I step into it and uh, just started going. And uh, I along the way, I made a, a friend of mine, uh, first, other than you, my first pastor friend. You know, mm-hmm. that, 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 uh, don't take this wrong, but that Lily White, you know, that, that Martha White looking guy that's, you know, probably never done anything wrong mostly in his life. And not us. Ne- no, no, not me. <laughs> definitely not me. I'm not casting any shade on you, brother, but definitely not me, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I consider you my friend and we've been, you know, we've played yeah. that, uh, what was that? Indoor golf we used to play at the house way back when. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, we are. Uh, this guy calls me his friend from the from the from the stage at, at church one day in the middle of his his sermon, and you know, to this day, he's known as my friend Phil. That's how he saved in my phone when I answered the phone. Is my friend Phil? What's happening? You know, Amen. Man. So, uh, so anyway, I start sharing with him. What's going on up here? And I'm bouncing ideas for sermons off of him. And I'm just, it, it becomes my new fire. You know, mm. I talked to mm. you about how to write messages. How do you do it? I, I I was thirsting to be better. And I still do to this day. I mean, it's, uh, you know, talk about being unequipped, right? You know, being, mm-hmm. un, uh, you know, completely not the guy that's supposed to be leading anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um. Luckily for me, it was a small CR, and it has grown, but it's still not huge by any means, you know, but it's it's what most Celebrate Recoveries are throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Well, one day, I'm sitting there on a Sunday, and uh, we're standing at the little greeting desk, because I would always get to church early, you know, in between the first and second service, and hang out with some people. It was my social time, to a certain degree, cutting up. Phil was standing there. We were talking about the week, and uh, somebody came up, and I was telling him about somebody had just given their life to Christ at, uh, at our celebrate because had that one in Eatonton, mm-hmm. and how I was going to give my testimony somewhere or whatever. So I said, where's that at? I told him, I said, celebrate recovery. And the lady said, we need one of those here. Where, where's here? At Northway Church in Macon, my home church. Okay. And uh, so the next one comes up. He says, what are y'all talking about? He says, celebrate recovery, you know, da, da, da. She goes, oh, my dad needs one of those. We need one of those here. And within a span of three minutes, three different people came up and said the same thing. Wow. And I looked at Phil. I said, I guess it's about time. He said, who's going to lead it? I said, I said, I will first season. I said, if that's what it takes, if, if, if you've got somebody better, then by all means. Uh, just, but I'm willing to start it. He's like, 
Well, let's pray about it. I don't, I don't really know what that means. That doesn't register with me. I'm like, either we're going to do it or we're not. Let's get going. I got stuff to do. We got to start spinning wheels. And, but, you know, God's timing, um, the way that they, the way that that church did it, it was exactly the way CR laid it out. We asked for people who might be interested in volunteering. And then on day one, there were 75 people show up. What, how big a church is it? Like, uh, um, I'd say there's there's probably 800 people usually on Sunday between the two services. Okay. Um, um, the role big I think church. is a lot. Yeah, yeah, big church. Um, yeah. But to have 75 people show up to something, I, right. I, I meet. Now I'm completely intimidated. All yeah. right. So they they got deacons that are showing up to do be a part of this. And I, I go back to Phil and say, hey, any of these names you feel like need to lead this? He goes, no, no, no. You're, you, you will, you're the guy. I'm like, wow. look, man, I, I, I'm telling you, there's some people here I know that know the scripture a whole lot better than I do. No, no, no. So we, we start right then. Um, went through about four months, launched it. On the first night of our CR, we had roughly 300 people show up. Wow. And uh, since then, wow. you know, after the first couple of them, it falls off a little bit. So we hit about a hundred and a quarter for a little while, and now we're up to about two fifty. I don't count. I'm just listening to what they tell yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I look out there, and I still get scared to death when I start to open up my mouth. So I mean, I figure that's good. enough people. It scares me. So yeah, yeah um, good. But in all of that, man, God just He poured into me. He gave me a. So, like, your first fire for me was enough for me to read that Bible cover to cover and to start a second time. But then now I've got a reason to read. Now I've got a purpose in what I'm looking for. Now I'm looking for messages. I'm hunting out things to to, to be able to talk about, ways to be able to communicate. And, uh, man, it I, it's just been... Uh, it's all God the whole way through. He had his hand in this. I mean, I could. Amen. There are some deacons in there that that uh, that came along at the very beginning and were like, "Who is this guy?" You know, and and one of them even one day finally just confronted me. Says, "So who are you?" I said, I'm Sean King. He goes, "Oh, That's do you a loaded question, man." <laughs> I know, right? He goes, "He goes, do you work for the church?" I'm like, "Lord, no." Mm-mm, they wouldn't hire me. He goes, well, uh, do, do you work for Celebrate Recovery? I said, no, man, I'm just a volunteer. I go to this church. He goes, oh, so what do you do? I said, I, I, actually, I work for at and I'm an engineer there. I mean, that's, that's what I do. He goes, I wouldn't tell anybody. I'm like, okay. I didn't. So I keep it a secret if you will. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. So uh, the skeptics were there, but uh, as we worked through, so I took all of them through a 12 step. And uh, as we went through that 12 step process, they bought in and they saw how this is not just a, uh, a template, but it's a discipleship program. Amen. And, and it gets people to, to, to talk about those things that you really don't want to say out loud. And uh, mm-hmm. allows for real healing to happen. And so, anyway, back to the whole launch. And so, I've been leading this thing. We launched in December 4th of 2022. 
20, wait a minute, this is 2021. So we've been at it a year and a half. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and so the yeah. for people who are listening to this, celebrate recovery. They have this alliteration that uses the letter H. Um, kind of w- w- tell me tell for those who are listening that don't know what celebrate recovery is in the in the one minute elevator spiel. What is celebrate recovery? It is a Christian version of AA or NA. It is a safe place where people can come in and take the mask off and we can talk about the real hurts that are driving our compulsive behaviors. Mm-hmm. And when we and talk about... Go ahead. It's hurts, hang-ups, and habits. Yeah. I, I hurts, hang-ups, habits. Yep. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I, I, it rolls off my tongue differently. I, I, hurts, I habits, and hang-ups. Okay, that's yeah. what I was trying to remember. I knew there were three H's <laughs> and I yeah. knew hurts. And I knew habits. No, I knew yeah. hurts and I knew hangups. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, what, what, what I've come to learn is that a lot of the compulsive behaviors, the things that we do that we don't understand why we do, that, you know, Paul talks about, uh, why is it that I do the things that I don't want to do, but the things yeah, I want to do are seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that little piece a lot of it has to do with, with unresolved hurt in our life, whether, and some of it's shame. You know, mm-hmm. so by offering forgiveness and asking for forgiveness from a place of vulnerability, um, we we finally start letting this stuff just kind of shed off our shoulders, you know, and we start yeah, walking man. a little bit lighter. And, you know, so I personally, I did two 12 steps. Um, the second one was with a guy named Harvey Brown, who uh, was part of the train trestle to talk about that community. Okay. He's now a he's now a regional uh, director for CR here in, in Georgia. Wow. And uh, you so know, a I, CR for anybody listening, because this will go all over. It, yeah. um, is CR a nationwide thing? So if yeah. somebody right this moment is wrestling with their past guilt, shame, addiction, uh, fit, any and all, um, it, are there celebrate recovery ministries? It, Pretty much anywhere. Yeah, it's it's actually worldwide, Ben, and it's uh okay. you can go to celebraterecovery.org and you uh you know, there's a little button on there where you click uh, find a uh, find a group and uh, you type in your zip code and tell it how big of a range you're willing to look and I mean uh, I found one for uh, a cousin of mine in Louisiana. She wasn't sure, so I sent her three. I said, here, check these out. And- and if y'all are listening to this, if I can figure out how, I'll put a link to cr.org. Or I'll find that link and I'll put it in um, the comments or the show notes. I don't know how that works, but I'll figure it out before we, you know, when I post this thing. And that way, if you're listening to this, you should be able to find a link and click it and find one near you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. I mean, there's people all around, but so. You know, I guess to to keep going from there, um, you know, God's just been so good in, in the way that he put that thing together. And just, uh, I I stand in awe every single night when I, hey, when I you know, it's, you know, I, I still question their judgment, you know, that they're going to give me a microphone, um, you know. <laughs> me too. <laughs> 
right? But, uh, you know, it's, uh, the stars are going to align sometime, and I'm actually going to be in town on a CR night. And I'm just going to slip in the back door. I don't even think I'm going to tell you I'm coming. I'm just going to slip in the back door and get me a good old fill up with Sean King. I am I am way overdue. Man, I'd love it. Just before you leave, let me know you were there, please. You know, yeah. let me take you to dinner afterwards. We'll go to the Waffle House or something. But, uh, yes. But, man, so uh, yes. this thing has been, you know, in all of this, the train trestle and then celebrate recovery and, and everything that I'm doing. I have people who say thanks or whatever, but brother, let me tell you, I have already gotten my reward. Mm-hmm. I have been able to see life change happen before my eyes. Amen. I've watched things that I've watched people come off the street and, uh, are fulfilling their lives, are living a good life, have got a job, they're taking care of family members now. Um, and so, uh, you know, they don't... I, I had a guy, um, first name Billy. He came to me and uh, was using um, 400 milligrams of Oxycontin a day. Wow. And uh, had used that day. And he came through the house and he gets there and he says, so man, uh, I, I'm all in. Uh, when do I go to rehab? I said, ain't going to be no rehab. He goes, well, what do you mean? I, I need to go to detox. I'm like, no, nah, man, you don't need detox. He goes, man, I, I've gotten clean four different times. i, I got to go to detox. I said, look, man, you with me now? I said, we're sitting in this house. And I'm going to tell you now, if you're going to try life God's way, it don't start at a detox. He looked at me like I had three heads. Now, Public disclaimer, I'm not telling everybody that you should do this, okay? Yeah. Because you can die from this stuff. But sure. I told him, I said, if it gets bad enough, I'll take you. That man made it all the way through uh, four days. You know, worst thing he had was some runs. And, man, he uh, he did it right. He went to a uh, uh, went to one place, a, uh, a rehab, and then left from there and went to another one called Crossroads here in Macon, man, and I love those people. Brad and Jody Sapp, shout out to you. Um, I watched him go all the way through there. And so, Ben, he comes on Monday night. Amen. And I get to see him. And every time I do, I get my blessing. Yeah. And it's, he's just one of the 80. He's, and, and then people that are just in CR, I get my blessing because I see them. And I see God working in them. It didn't have anything to do with me. Dude, if you left, if you take God out of me, I'm back out there on them streets hustling, acting the fool. Yeah. But, you know, with him poured into me, you're getting a whole other version of who I am. And, you uh, are. You're getting, the, you're getting the real version. Yes. Yes. You're getting the yes. real version of who you are. Amen. A version that all of us that love you have, have known and seen and it's the reason why people, uh, you are magnetic, um, and and it's it's the authenticity, and people are seeing now the the facade, the mask, the 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 persona is gone, and what folks are seeing is the vulnerability and the love, and the, don't get me wrong, I always want to make sure you're on my team. 
but but the people are the public and, and the greater good are now able to see yeah. the the teddy bear and uh, so you talked about uh, an early failed marriage you talked about kind of a, a middle of of this story failed marriage um, let's talk about where you are now and pick back up on the relationship. Um, that you got the word maybe to break off early. Let's kind of as much as you're willing to share. And, and oh, yeah, let's, man. Let's, let's talk about the restoration. So we've talked about the spiritual restoration. Um, let's talk about, you know, the, the, the relationships. Um, we've talked about what God has done through you for others. Let's talk a little bit about what God has done in you for for you. G- um, give me one second. I'm going to turn on this light. It'll only take a second because I realize sure. my background's so dark. I, I can barely see. Yeah. Perfect. All right. So, uh, yeah, so uh, I don't. Oh, yeah, I do remember the day. May 16th of uh, of last year. Mm-hmm. I get a phone call, uh, I probably the 13th when I got the phone call, because that was a Wednesday, and uh, we were going to, Sherry called me and said, look, you know, what do you think about us, you know, talking about getting back together? How and many I, years is this since you broke it off? Four. Four years. Four years. Four and years. I, go ahead. I, I got questions, but I don't want to interrupt the train of thought. Go ahead. So, so so the very first thing I do is I call Phil, my friend Phil. I said, man, and, you know, because I, I, I select people who have the right to come to me and get in my business and, and ask me how he's I'm your, doing because I need that is accountability. He your pastor? He's your yeah. pastor? He's, I mean, not he's, the head, yeah. okay. he's not He's not the head pastor of the church, but he's one of the yeah. pastors there. Okay. And uh, okay. so I, I call him up and I said, hey, man, you know, we talk about it. He goes, okay, let's pray about it. I said, okay. And so he prays for me and for her and he says, God, if you would, just just send us a, sh- a sign. Just, just let us know up front whether this is real or whether this is, this is something else. Sure. And so we sit down, we talk that Friday and uh, Saturday she calls and says, uh, you know, she just, we went to dinner and I was like, you know, I, I'm doing a lot. I'm going here. I'm going here. I'm doing this. I'm in this home team. I'm, you know, and, and trying to kind of just gracefully go ahead and set the, the role for, you're not wanting to sign up for this, right? Um, I, hands down, I loved her and I, I knew I did, but I didn't want to hurt myself or her. And, uh, so we pray, and Saturday, unprompted, she calls, and uh, we're talking, and she says, Hey, uh, would it be all right if I came to church with you on Sunday? Well, I said, Absolutely. Absolutely. No trouble. So she said, uh, what, what about this CR stuff? Could, could I come Monday and Thursday with you? I was like, <laughs> Yeah. Absolutely. So is Thursday still Eatonton? Yeah, Thursday was eating ten and still is. And Monday so you're is running, Northwest. You're running the CR group in Macon on Mondays, and you're still running the CR group in Eatonton on Thursday. Thursdays. And Eatonton is forty five minutes away. Well, from away. Where I am, 
it was an hour when I was in Macon. Now it's about 30 minutes away. I'm in grade. Okay. Now, so. All right. So, Sorry. Yeah. Just for people who are listening who don't know, because there'll be Missouri folks and folks out west <laughs> listening. And so, so you're running, you're working a full-time job engineering for AT&T, running a 250 average CR on Monday nights, and then running a separate CR 30 minutes away on Thursday nights. Yeah, and then on, and just for full disclosure, on Wednesdays, I would go down to Dublin and uh, teach a message down there during the day to a rehab that I had become fond of, and then I'd okay. come back. And uh, so that, that was all going on. And, and so let's talk wow. about let, let me tell you how God worked before that ever happened, though. So I had a job when I was over in Alabama, and even when I came back to Georgia, that man was just grueling. I worked for some uh, some people who were kind of hard to work for. And in a company where things were tough, um, you know, it was very demanding. And um, I had uh, basically from I-20 to Florida and Alabama to the ocean um, was my area and uh, was responsible for a whole lot of stuff, including money, wow. people, materials. So one day I get a phone call. And uh, it's one of the people who uh, was a customer of ours, which was AT&T. And he said, uh, you know, there's going to be a slot open. Didn't know if you might want to apply. I'm like, well, heck, yeah. You know, yeah, I want, I want, the, I want to do that. So I apply, and I, I, I sign up. I'm like, okay. Then my work went from that big area. My, my, my area got cut in half. And if you're with AT&T, just turn this off for the next little minute, okay? My area got cut in half. I have no more direct reports, meaning people. I don't have to worry about material. I had been working so hard, putting in 60 hours back then, still doing the same stuff. And now all of a sudden, dude, I got the best job in the world. I, I'm I'm just thankful I have it, and I hope they keep sending checks. I mean, this has been it, it's the best job I've ever had. Just I'm like, and I'm in never, that though, but in that then there's a creation of, in there. There's a creation of space and time where you can do that and ministry. Absolutely, because without it, I was going to run myself. Okay. I was burning the candle at both winds and, and in the middle too. So but God he provided. Yeah. Yes, he did. He and I didn't even ask. He just opened up that door. And made that better. Um, yeah. And then so. Okay. So, so back. So Sherry. Sherry calls. Ask if she can go to church. She asks if she can go with you on Monday. She asks if you can go with you on Thursday. I'm sorry. I get. Yeah. You know. And that's the beauty of this podcast. In full disclosure. I said it from way back in the way back. We're getting friends online. We're hitting record. And this. You all just get to eavesdrop on us. You know. So. Uh, all right. Okay. So. So, so let's bring it back I, off the pig trail. Uh, so she asked if she can go and then what? So Sherry and I, we, we start dating. It, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm convinced early on. Um, the first time I met her, I was already ready to, to ask her to marry me. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, November of last year, um, I asked her to marry me and uh you know, I questioned her judgment, but she said yes. And uh, so uh, uh, it's really neat because uh, when she asked me what day we I wanted to get married on, I took her birthdays. 
she's born November 21st. I'm born November 11th. And I wanted something to celebrate halfway out. Halfway out would have been May 16th. The same day she called. As it turns out, that was the middle of the week, so we backed it up. Guess what day the next day was? May 13th, the day that we actually talked on the phone. And the day that that all happened. So the first date was on the 16th. That was on the 13th. I'm like, okay. You know, I I don't need, God, I was already in, but thank you for the extra confirmations in here. So uh, we get married, and uh, we've, uh, I'm still here at the house, and, uh, you know, as of the time of this, um, I'm still leading the one in, in Eatonton, and I think that uh, that along the way, um, some people have come along who have gone through a 12-step under me, and, and uh, I think God has a guy for that ministry right there that is local to wow. Eatonton, that, that has a heart for it. Um, conversations have taken place between me and the pastor. I don't know if the pastor has actually talked to him or not, um, but about, you know, because, you know, ultimately we're supposed to replace ourselves. We're, we're, we're supposed to duplicate sure, yeah. what we're doing. Um, and yeah. and I, I, I feel pretty good that, you know, by the next time we do one of these, I probably won't be leading Eatonton anymore, but I don't think the guy's freeing me up of that without getting ready to play something else for me. I don't know what yeah. it is. Uh, I mean, I, I've, sure. I've got too much energy, you know, and you know, if that's not the case, then okay, you know, I'll just do what I do. Yeah. But, uh, um, so there's been that, uh, I mean, I'm in, I'm in the best relationship I've ever been in in my life. We are surrounded Amen. by, uh, by a home team that is part of our church that is that is incredible, the Alfords and, and the Chaldas and uh, about nine other people in there that, uh, that we just have bonded with and that we're doing life with. And then, so there's, there's this, this uh, I'm going to call normal Christian life over here. And then I've got mm-hmm. CR circles over here. And so we're just, we're plugging in every chance that we get. And, and um, you know, it's just the relationships that you make, the people that you meet and the way that they pour into you, you know, it's just been a, it's been a real blessing, but at our wedding, so uh, at our wedding, an outlaw came to that wedding who, uh, who we had some rough days with, right? Um, oh, wow. It was, it was really neat. I had him there, and he is, he, he'll always be a brother of mine. Um, first name, Sam. Um, love him. Well, he, uh, he came, um, my sister. So we had this meeting at this, at this wedding, brother. The dynamics were off the chain. Okay. Um, Amen. Yeah, yeah. We had outlaws there. We had U.S. Marshals there. We had uh, we had uh, my pastor was there. Deacons from our church were there. Home team was there. We had our party crew that was there. It's like just throw it in, and every facet that you could imagine in there was there at one time, and uh, you know we. 
we intentionally wanted this in my mind and the 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 people that came from the church caught on to it pretty quickly that they were kind of on mission you know at our wedding and we wanted to make them feel welcome and guest but it, it was so beautiful the way that all played out um you know, we're still it's authentic community. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, authentic which is what which is what the project what the Simplify project is all about is cultivating authentic community wherever you are. And see um, I've been in I've been in communities where where everybody wore the mask, right? You know, where even in the Christian community, where where too many times you go up and you can tell something's off with somebody and say, "Hey, man, are you okay? Are you all right?" And they say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm yeah. fine. I'm fine. Everything's good." You know, it's like okay, and you know, then you find out later that they were struggling with something, and it it winds up wrecking, you know, being ten times worse than what it had to be, and you know, it's like, look, man, you know, when. Uh, I had to tell somebody, I called a friend of mine out on it. I said, look, man, I said, you're going in here to church. I said, it's like you're going into the hospital. And you're telling people about a fever that you have. And they're giving you Tylenol for the fever. And you're walking out and you're mad at the hospital and at the doctor. When in truth, you got an infection from a cut in your leg that's causing the fever in the first place. And you want to talk about the fever, <laughs> but not about that cut that's causing the fever. I said, if you'd have told the doctor That's about good. the cut, then you'd have been fine. I'd take the mask off. Be real. When I ask you if you're okay, don't tell me that you're, you know, you're having troubles at work. Tell me that you're having troubles at work because something else is failing in your life and you're not sleeping. You know that. That's good. You know, the one thing that I love about CR, and it's something I, I use this quote, is from a book called The Cure. Um, and, and I use it periodically, especially on testimony night at a Celebrate Recovery. And I tell people, I said, what if there's a place so safe that the worst of you could be known? I mean, yeah, could be known and you'd be loved more in the telling of it. Mm. That the worst, the worst, you could tell me the worst thing you could ever tell me. And instead of judging or placing shame or guilt, I'm just going to love you more because you shared it. That's what Man, CR may is. all of our relationships, may all of our relationships and communities be like that. Uh, man, I, I, all right. I think, so as we as we wrap up, you. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I'm not going to cut you off. You no, got it. Go. I know. What you got? We, we, we've been going for a minute, but yeah. I mean, no. I, I was agreeing with you, man. I, I, you know, yeah. Community and authentic community. Uh, it changes lives, you know, and yeah. being vulnerable. Um, I think some of the things that CR talks about, like, like the, the, you know, there's, there's five rules, but the most important of those is what is said here stays here. The gift of anonymity. You know, you and I mm -hmm. talked about one day about sin eaters, you know, about mm -hmm. somebody just dumping something on you and it's like, mm -mm. Uh, it died right here. It didn't have to go any yeah. further, brother. You know, and, and yep. You know, the Bible says, it, real simply, share, uh, confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. It didn't say anything about forgiving. It said mm -hmm. so that you may be healed. And man, when we get authentic and we share that dirt stuff, 
It's like it mm-hmm. takes the weight and cuts it in half. And when you have community around you that you can just be real with and go in and sit down and go, man, today we sucked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> sucked. I, yeah. You know, I had to call somebody yeah. today and say, look, man, I got up this morning. I was chewing nails for I my feet hit the bed. Like, really? Yeah. I was like, yeah. So, I mean, but I've got those people in my life now, and it makes a difference. Yeah. And if I could if I could give anybody a gift, it would be the gift of authentic community. It wouldn't be money. Yeah. It yeah. wouldn't be fame. Yeah. It wouldn't be fortune. It'd be yeah. that gift of authentic. Because in that, you can find answers. You can find support. You can find direction. You can find people to bounce stupid ideas off before you do them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Life, life just will become so much better. Amen, ma'am. So um, every episode you haven't watched, so before we came on, before we prayed, I asked, hey, have you watched any of the first two episodes? You're like, no, not yet. I didn't want to. I didn't want it to sway or change how our interview would go. But So you won't be familiar with this question, so you're fixing to be put on the spot. But every episode I end it with, um, the name of this podcast is the Keep It Simple Podcast. And so the question here at the end is, how do you keep it simple? I don't complicate my relationship with God. He is, he is in control. And I worship Him and give Him thanks. Man, I've been set free from something. I've been saved from something. And I don't, I don't lose sight of that. I just keep it simple. He loves me. He wants the best for me. He's got rules for me that I need to, that are independent for me. Because of my knuckleheaded ways and the way that my head's wired. There are rules that apply to me that don't necessarily apply to everybody else. But he's revealing them to me. Hmm. And and if I just relax and go, you know what? He loves me. In spite of myself, he loves me. That's how I just keep it simple, brother. I just, you know, on my bad days, he loves me. On my good days, he loves me. And everything in between. Amen. I just remind myself that he loves me. And, uh. You know, I figure as long as I'm here, I must have another purpose. Let's find out what that is. Amen, man. He loves you. I love you. Hey, thank you for the time. Thank you for the vulnerability, uh, for sharing your story, walking us through um, the hurts and the hangups and the habits, the redemption, the restoration. Um, thank you. Uh, I love you, man. I love you. Uh, I love you, bro. Talk to you soon, brother. See you. Keep doing what you do. See you. Go get them. See you, brother. Yeah, yeah.